Hello, I'm Pastor Rob Spencer of Church United. We are excited because God is at work in our community of Christ followers. And it is my hope that God works in your life as you listen to this message today. If you'd like more information about Church United, please visit us at churchunited.family. Wow, here we are. Preach a message in Yoda pajamas, I will not. Uh, yeah, I had fun. Ran around back through the kids' ministry. That was the sweatiest pair of pajamas I've ever had on. And uh, the, kids, uh, the kids just, uh, man, they're excited to, to know that your kids are on mission. As well as what we're doing out here, we're getting our kids fired up and excited uh, and supporting. And knowing that it's not about us, right? There are other places in the world, other things going on. And God calls us to think about others and, and, and invest in his kingdom. I'll tell you one thing that I, I, that's been on my heart this word has been the word invest. Like what, what that actually means in investment. And, and a lot of times we think financially and, and uh, when we think about investments, we think about this, this word it, uh, it, uh, finance or money, whatever. And if, if you have, you know, not that, not that this has worried me a whole lot, but if you've had money in the stock market over the, uh, you know, whatever, in the past few weeks, we've seen the uncertainty happening in that. And in the midst of investment, a lot of times what comes along with investment then is this word insecurity or uncertainty. Uh, and, and I just want to pause for a minute this morning before we get completely into what we're talking about and just remind us there's a lot going on in the world around us. There's a lot more happening than what's happening right here. It's always good to remind our kids that there are other countries, other needs, other things going on. But as we think about this stuff, we can look with this coronavirus happening. And, and man, we can, uh, the way the media hypes things, we, we can very much get uh, a lot of anxiety and a lot of uncertainty and a lot of fear uh, that begins to get built into our lives, even going to church. And I've you know, I bumped elbows with a few people this morning, but um, I'm telling you, I just, I want to remind us this morning, God still is on the throne. We, we have to, we have to, have to remember that. No matter what, no matter what the stock market looks like, no matter what viruses are being spread, no matter what's going on, the, the reality is for followers of Jesus Christ, we, we are reminded, and if you're not a follower of Christ here this morning, thank you for being here. I'm so glad that you're here and chose to join us this morning. We believe that you're here on purpose, that it's no accident that you've walked in here, especially if you think about a time change, um, that, that you, made, you made your way in here and you're here, you're really here on purpose. Uh, we believe that about everyone in here, even our regular attenders, that maybe this morning you're like, I just can't do it. And, and you're like, man, I didn't know pajamas were an option. Um, and uh, if, if I would have known, I just want to tell you any Sunday, pajamas are an option. We don't care. Um, it just doesn't really matter. You can wear whatever you want. We, would just, we just believe that God brings people here on purpose. And to believe that God does everything by design. But when you're a follower of Christ and you believe he's created me on purpose. He has a plan for me. I've been created in the image of God. I'm a masterpiece of God. That we know that he cares for us. That he cares for people. That the heart of God is love. And God has a plan and God has a purpose. The other thing I'm very aware of as a follower of Jesus Christ is that he will return again one day. So when we read in our Bible talking about end times and, and we hear of things happening around the world that there's a, gr a greater um, frequency of natural disasters taking place, that there's a greater uh, frequency of wars and then there are rumors of wars. Th these are all biblical things that have been prophesied that are beginning to be signs of the return of Christ and the nearing of the coming of Christ. And I don't know that I talk about that enough or talked about that much in church, but I want to remind you that's where our hope is at. It's in Christ. That no matter what's going on in the world around us, know that God has a plan. God has a purpose. There's a design for it. Therefore, we should be a little bit more mindful about being on mission. If we know there's a purpose why God created us, then he's given us a mission. So rather than focusing on the uncertainty of what's happening around the world and all the investment things, it should put us more less worried about washing our hands. But yes, wash your hands. Come on. You know, if you didn't have soap before the coronavirus, it's a little strange that you don't have it now. Uh, it's just a little... <laughs> Wash your hands. Uh, that's just a good practice, even for common colds, okay? But we can use common sense. But don't allow this stuff to freak us out so much 
that we forget that we have a purpose and a mission, that our heart is to tell the world about the love of Jesus, the mission of the church to introduce people to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the purpose of every follower in here. So, no, God is in control. He's got this thing. And you say, what are we supposed to do about it? Keep telling people about Jesus. Love Jesus, live Jesus, give Jesus to the world. That's the mission of the church, mission of a follower of Jesus. But we talk about investments. And, and this has got me, my mind swirling this week about the, the, the stuff of just thinking of the stock markets and all the things that go on and what we call an investment. And it's, it's an interesting word. My wife, it, she tries to convince me anything that has to do with money, if, we want, if she wants me to buy something or she wants to buy something or we want to buy something for someone else, she always throws this word investment in. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. You know, I was, I remember one time, very specifically, we were shopping. I needed a belt. And I'm standing there at, at Walmart, and I've got these two belts. And, and I'm like, well, here's this one. It's $10 less than this one. And she's like, oh, no, get the better one. It's a really good investment. That's not an investment. They're both going to hold my pants up. So maybe it's generally an investment. You know, I'm investing in the lives of others. But I'm pretty fat right now. I don't think the chance of my pants falling down is very great. Um, if anything, I need to get a, one of those little extenders for my buttons. Um, you know, I, I just, investment is not the belt, okay? And she, she just likes to use that word. And if, and if you've been around my wife, she likes to give. She likes to, she likes to give things away. And I could say, why in the world did we spend $40 at Starbucks last week? And she's like, I was just investing in people. No, that's not, I, I'm, you know, I'm not just not buying this. This is not an investment. You know, to, uh, well, I'll sit down in the bathroom and there's softer toilet paper. And I'm like, what was wrong with the other toilet paper? She's like, I just made a better investment. I'm like, that's, that's literally flushing our money down the toilet. That's not an investment. You know, and, but it's funny how we use this word, but that, that's not. When you think investment, it has to change. And especially when we think about kingdom investment. Because there's a whole different idea here of what it means to be invested in the kingdom of God. Because the, the reality is, any investment we make here in this world, there, there's going to be uncertainty that goes along with it. We may never know what actually is going to take place when we invest in earthly things. Actually, we can know it's going to take place. One day, all of them will be gone. We can't take any of it with us. Um, and, and one day, it's going to be completely wiped out because nothing here you can invest in. That's, that's all temporal things. So when we talk about kingdom investment, these are things that we can put our money toward, our time toward, our talent toward. All of that we have, we can put it toward God and invest in the kingdom of God. And in Matthew chapter 6, and if you have your Bible this morning, I just want to, I, I want to point this out because here's God's plan or kingdom investment. So uncertainty of the market, uncertainty of everything that's going on around us today in the world and all the things that are happening. I, I want us to get us focused, focus our minds and our thoughts and our attention toward what it means to invest in God's kingdom. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy. And thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desire of your heart will also be. Interesting. That, that last verse kind of hurts a little bit if you think about it too much, um, which we should think about it too much. Uh, we, we should spend a little time on it. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it causes us, just for a brief second here, we just kind of pause and we ask ourselves this question, where is my treasure? Where is my treasure? Maybe we have to think back through the last week and, and think through that banking online account and we saw oh there's that there's that account there's where that went there's where that went and we start thinking about treasure where my treasure is there my heart is also so when we talk about kingdom investment it shifts our mindset because everything on this earth is temporal so what does that mean to say i'm going to be invested in the kingdom of god well first 
we, we do have to come to an understanding of what investment itself is. And I, I threw out this little definition here. The first kind of just defining, I brought some things together, some several definitions of investment, and I kind of expanded it a little bit. But here's what I came up with so that we're on the same page. Because if you ask my wife, she's investing in things like coffee and toilet paper and, and belts, you know, and shoes. Those, those, you know, that's not quite the same. These are kingdom investments, so we're going to put a little twist. But if we just talk about an investment, it's an act of Devoting resources, time, talent, effort, energy, finances, any of those kind of resources, it's, it's the act of devoting those resources uh, to a particular undertaking with the expectation of a worthwhile result or return. Hey, what's up there? Um, so it's the expectation of investment that there'll be a return, a worthwhile return, Right? So that, that's what we think of, especially when we think of investing money. Uh, if you put money in some kind of 401k or the stock, you have stocks or whatever you do with your money, some kind of investment. Some people put their money in other kind of material investments here on earth with the purpose of getting a return, whether it's a rental property or something like that. So you think investment thinks, I'm going to put something out there, but there's going to be a return for it. So here's my money, here's my talent, here's my energy, my resources. I'm going to invest myself, whatever it is, into this, and I expect to get something back that's that's an investment otherwise you're just you know throwing your money away you're just buying something so a car typically if you go out and buy a car as much as uh as much as some of us would like to think that this is a good investment not really um you know it's going to depreciate it's going to fall apart it's not there's not going to be a necessarily a financial return on that but we got to shift our mindset to start thinking kingdom so i'm going to put a pause on that just kind of set that over there just for a second Put that over here, then I'm going to tie these two things together in a second. At Church United, we have a vision, okay? So churches, they should have, have some kind of direction that we're going in. Now, first thing we know is every church should be on mission, okay? And the mission of every church should be to glorify God and make disciples. That's, that's the Bible, okay? That's just every church that's out there. They should say, our mission is to bring glory to God. That's why Christians exist. That's why the church exists, a group and fellowship of Christians coming together. Our mission to glorify God and to make disciples, that's the great commandment, okay? So we go into all the world making disciples, baptizing people in the name of Jesus, teaching them, and this is the spread of the love of God. We say that here by I'll live Jesus, or I'll love Jesus, live Jesus, give Jesus. That's the mission of our church. That's, that's what we do, okay? So there's mission, yes, we're there. Now, our church not only has that mission, but we have uniquely defined that in our vision as a church to say, we're doing that mission, and while we're on that mission, we're shooting toward a goal. So we have said here that by 2029, so we cast this vision, I cast this last year, and I said by 2029, that was 10 years from last year, we will have planted or revitalized Churches, healthy churches, at least seven healthy churches. So we've set a goal to say in the next 10 years or nine years now, we're going to shoot and strive to plant or revitalize seven, at least seven healthy churches. So that's a, that's a goal for the church. Now, here's what I want to help us connect this morning. This is kingdom investment. So the mission of the church is glorify God, make disciples, okay? Love Jesus, live Jesus, give Jesus. But, but that's, that's how we can invest every day. You should be doing those things. Our church as a whole, striving us and driving us in one direction says that our vision is to reproduce. Because anything that's healthy reproduces. Anything that's healthy is going to then duplicate itself and our desires to duplicate not, not, not every ministry that's happening here, but to duplicate the DNA of the church, which is health, which is someone that's striving to be on purpose, on mission, living in joy. So seven healthy churches. Now why is this, the question then becomes, why is this really a, a kingdom investment? We, we want to be a church that is going to see a return on what we do. So I believe our greatest eternal impact can take place 
through planting and revitalizing churches because the church is the avenue through which God designed to reach the world for Christ. That we can't do it alone and we shouldn't strive to do it alone. We do it in partnership with one another. Now here's the misnomer. There are about 350,000 evangelical churches in North America. Okay, That's a lot. Or is it? Because it sounds like a lot when you say there are 350,000 evangelical churches in all of North America, and you think, wow, that's a, that's a big amount of churches. But the thing that always gets people excited on a Sunday morning with a time change are statistics. People love statistics. You know, isn't everyone excited? You want to hear some statistics to really wake you up this morning? I think you need to be woke up, by the way. <laughs> We're getting a little quiet in here. Yes. Woo! Statistics. What did you guys clap about this morning? Statistics. We love them. So 350,000 churches in North America. But listen, this gets a little sad. For every new church that opens its doors, four churches close. That's currently the statistic in North America right now. Every one church that opens, four are closing its doors. So if we stop planting churches, now we just have four churches closing their doors. There has been a 19.4, almost a 20% decline in church attendance in the past decade alone. A 20% decline in church attendance in the last decade. Only one county in America has a greater church population than it did 10 years ago. Imagine that, a county. So if it were Augusta County and, and, and we had more churches being planted here, my goal would be that maybe in the next 10 years there's two counties because we've taken this one and we've planted more churches, that we're bringing up this number. But think about that. If it were just Augusta County in all of North America, all the counties, that's all that can be said is one county in America has more churches today than it did 10 years ago. 15,000 people per month in the U.S. convert to Islam. 15,000 convert to Islam in the U.S. alone. That's not a worldwide statistic, just the U.S. There are 290 million people in the United States. 65% or 188 million have no vital connection to church. But converse to that... 47% of Americans, or of America's unchurched, are open to being invited to church by a friend. So there are 188 million that have no vital connection to church, but over half of those say, I would be willing to go to church if someone invited me. Is, it, does that, is that a little sobering? <laughs> That you realize, I think sometimes we think no one wants to come to church. Everyone's going to church. Everyone's plugged in somewhere. We have this mindset as Christians sometimes that everyone else is a Christian or else they're attending somewhere, they're doing something. But the reality is that half, over half, are unchurched. 65% of people have no vital connection to the church. And over half of those people would be willing to say, yeah, I, I I would consider going to church if someone invited me. The U.S. has the fourth population, fourth largest population of unreached people in the world, after India, China, and Malaysia. The fourth largest amount of unchurched people are here in our country. 85%, though, of all churches in America are plateaued or declining. This fellow named Peter Wagner said it's this way, which I think is a wonderful quote, the single most effective evangelistic methodology under heaven is planting new churches. The most effective form of evangelism, taking Jesus to the world, happens through planting new churches. And churches that plant churches grow three times faster than churches that don't. So research of 624 Southern Baptist churches, all 624 of these Southern Baptist churches that, that we're connected with here have planted a church. And here's what they said. These churches witnessed 21.5% increase in attendance over their next five years after they had planted a church. So their attendance, after sending people out, after supporting church planting, 
their church grew over 20% over the next five years. So every time they send the church out, their church grows. And, and, and here's what our problem is, is we, we think, well, look around us. We, you know, what if we, what, what if we you know, we st- our church got started out of Calvary Baptist and, and they sent about 40 adults out. If you wiped 40 people out of here, that's pretty much every worker in the children's ministry. Uh, over a, a month period of time, there's 40 to 60 or so that work in that ministry. Think about just sending all those people out, Pastor Rob, then we'll, what's going to happen here? We're going to die. We won't have anyone to help, but the reality is... God blesses when we send. God blesses when we give. God so generously gave to us that when we then mirror that generosity and make ourselves a channel of God's blessing, that when he gives to us, we strive and try to do our best to give it away, God just puts more and gives more and gives more. He'll do that in the church. He'll do that in your personal lives, and we'll read about that in a minute. But, but I, wanna, I want us to understand this here and now. Because if we're all going to be on this team, we've been talking about this in the last couple months. What's next? What's next? What's happening next? And that's a personal question for us. Yes. What is next in your own life? Because we always want to know. And this is the last week we're going to be on a series. Next week we're shifting gears. But I want, I want you to know, this what's next thing? The best is yet to come. We always think the best is yet to come. Yeah, if I've got money. Because the money, money is always tied to the best in our opinion. If I can buy cooler things, if I can have a nicer house, if I can have a nicer car, if I can do this, if I can do that, then the best will be yet to come. But that's a very earthly way to look at it, a very temporal way to look. When we say the best is yet to come, what's next? It's when we're living on purpose, when we're living on mission, when we're living in joy, the best is yet to come because it's all about the kingdom of God making eternal kingdom impact and kingdom investments. So we see what God does as a church rallies together to say, we're going to be in this thing together. We're going to be on mission together. We're going to rally around this vision of planting and revitalizing churches together because we realize that when we give, God gives. So if we hold it tight-handedly or tight-fisted that God brings people in here, that God's given resources to the church, and we just grab those resources and we keep them to ourselves, then I believe that the channel of blessing begins to dry up because we're no longer giving away. We're no longer channels of blessing. So God can't use what he's given us to bless others. He can't bless through us anymore as a church. So we hold loosely but graciously and gratefully what God has given us. But we just let our church be a channel of blessing to our community and to the world. And we do that through planting churches. So last fall, we just got started, and some of you thought I was crazy. Some of you started crazy. Chad was talking about this this morning because we did this at church downtown as well. When we got started and, and Pastor Robert was getting ready to plant Village Church, we had him come up and, and he stood in front of the church and he's like, man, I'm feeling called to plant a church in Churchville. And, and, and I stood up after him and I said, all right, who wants to go? And Chad said, him and Savannah were like, you don't hear this in church. They don't want to send people out. They want to hold on to them. And he said, that was cool. That was, that, I, I, these are paraphrasing. I don't think he said it that way. But, but he said, that, that's great. Like, that's different. And so we just got started last year at our church, and I had Pastor K.J. Washington come in, and he stood up here, and he said, God's calling him to plant a church in Waynesboro, in New Valley Church, and they had launched in, in January of this year, and I, he stood up here, and I said to the church, hey, if God is, if, if you think God might be calling you to be a part of that ministry, you go and be a part, and, and I want to share with you this morning that we sent about a dozen people, over a dozen people, 13 people went over to help Pastor KJ. So if you're wondering where some of these went, I'll tell you. The Knights, Greg and Chris and Knight, prayed. Their whole family felt God was calling them to go over and be a part of that ministry. It was a hard decision for them because they're very connected to our church, but they felt God was laying on their heart to go and be a part of that. Alex Wilson, that was a hard loss. Alex played bass guitar, and now Kelly has to play bass guitar. It's a hard loss for our church. Uh, no, Alex, Alex just felt, he's instrumental, he's in the band, and he said, Pastor Rob, I met with him, and he just said, man, I feel God's calling me to do this. And I said, do it, man, do it. God provides, God provides. 
Brad and Shannon Wyant, who were part of her ministry here, felt called to go and be a part of New Valley. Ben and Krista Ham and their family felt called to go and be a part of New Valley. Everett and Tracy Stubbs felt called to go over and be a part of New Valley, launching that church. And there may be others over there. That, those are the only ones that had personal conversations with me, so the only ones I feel willing to share their, or free to share their names. There may be others over there helping and doing. And you know what I say? What's wrong with you people? Don't you like me? Aren't I handsome? You should have saw me in my Yoda jammies. Uh, No, no, no. That'll make them run. Uh, I'm telling you, we say, God bless you. God bless you for being on mission because God blesses a church that holds its other hand open and says, God, what you give, we want to give away. No matter what it is, We will not hold tightly to your blessings, God. We want to be a channel of blessing to bless the world. So that's what we talk about when we say kingdom investment. And our mission at the church is the Great Commission. Love Jesus, live Jesus, give Jesus. So church planting is the greatest tool we have to give Jesus to the world If that's the greatest tool that we have, then we want to be about church planting because that's kingdom investment because we're investing. Everything we have, everything we do centers around saying. It doesn't mean that our church here shouldn't be healthy or shouldn't have programs because the goal is to send. We don't want to send hurt people. We want to send healthy people. Right, so, so if you're here and you say, oh, if it's all about here, I get plugged in here and they don't care about me even being here, they just want to send me somewhere else, then I might as well just leave. No, no, no. Stay long enough to get healthy. And then maybe when you start praying, and, and, and we talked about this in our, our, our growth track class this morning. If you haven't been through that class, I encourage you to sign up. Next time you see one of those going around, sign up for that class. You'll understand a little bit about our heart. But, but Jesse, one of our elders, said, hey, when we talk about going, when we talk about sending people, it doesn't just mean we're sending them out in the community. It means we're sending them right here within the church to lead and serve and share. So the children's ministry needs people from this room right here to be sent back there to help train up and, 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 and disciple and lead our children. There are people in this room that be, need to be sent into the community group and ministry of our church to be leaders, to help and train, disciple people up. We have ministries that happen. Our first impressions ministry, greeting people when they come in the door, welcoming people, needs people that may be sitting here that you're not doing anything. The first place that you need to be sent is right into the church to do some ministry, to grow to be discipled, to be healthy. And maybe after that happens, one day I'll stand up here and say, hey, we're, we're going to send a church over here or we're going to help revitalize this church and then you'll start feeling God working on your heart to be a part of that. And that kind of sending will take place or maybe that will never happen. Maybe you feel like this would be your mission ground, that this is where God has planted you to help you train up and, and get other people ready to be sent out. But the the truth is, if we're healthy, we're going to be reproducing. So we want to raise people up. We want to see people grow in relationship with Jesus Christ. So then we make investments in the kingdom of God by sending people, little pockets and communities of gospel-driven servants all over the valley and then all over the world, reaching people with the love of Jesus Christ. So... Pastor, well, Pastor Paul, it is his name. Uh, he was a pastor. Paul, the apostle in, in Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, again, we're going to jump into Corinthians chapter 8. And I want to see show you something really quickly here, what Paul is doing with the Corinthian church. Sometimes we compare ourselves to other people. We look at other ministries around us. We look at other people around us. That's why I hate Facebook. You look and you say, wow, that guy looked way better in the Yoda jammies than I did. Um, you know, and we just, we just get down on ourselves and we think poorly of ourselves. That comparison thing sometimes is bad, but sometimes comparison can be okay. If it's a measure of watching what someone else is doing and then we aspire to follow that, as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So here's someone that we look to, that we aspire to say, I want to be like that person. I want to follow after that person. We we want to follow people and look like people who are really sold into making kingdom investments. 
Those are the ones that we want to look like. So Paul points the Corinthian church, the church at Corinth, he points them to the church at Macedonia, and he says, hey, I want you guys to see what this other church did so that you can understand what God may be calling you to do. So Paul calls their attention, the Corinthians, to the Macedonians. And in verse uh, 1 of chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says this, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They were being tested by troubles, and they were or are very poor. How many can relate to that? You know, just throw your hand up. Well, you don't have to, actually. Um, they're being tested in troubles, and they're very poor. But listen to this. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it out of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped for. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So their first act of generosity in their poorness is they said, we don't have much to give, but our first act is just, here we are. If this is what I got, this is me. So I'm going to give myself fully, and whatever God can do through me, I'm just going to give myself to you apostles, to you leaders of the church, because you feel like you're on a mission for God. You know where we're going, so here I am. I'm just going to step up. And the Macedonians just said, we are available. Here we are. So their first act of generosity is they're all in. Like, that, that, that's funny to me. It's like the first, so the first thing they did is, all right, what do you need? Well, what do you got? I don't, whatever you want. That's a big step, right? That's nothing, I'm not being involved, I'm not doing anything to, not just writing a check, not just showing up to serve on a team, not, not, not just saying, oh, I'm, I'm pretty good at uh, shaking hands at a door. They're like, what do you need? Whatever I've got, you can have it. That's a big act of generosity. So, verse 6. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, you excel in your faith, you excel in your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. So the Apostle Paul here goes to the Corinthians and he says, hey, there's a need. There's, some, there, there's a need for the church in Jerusalem. We need you to step up to the plate here, but I want to show you something. I want you to know there are other believers doing this. There are other churches that are giving. There are other people that are making kingdom investments. And I want you to see the generous acts of these other people. But it's not only comparing yourselves to other people and their generosity, but it's also comparing ourselves to what God calls us to do through Jesus Christ. Look at what Jesus himself did. In the richness and greatness, the king of the world steps down into poverty, into humanity. And he humbles himself. He became poor so that he could give us a life of richness. Boy, what a great gift that Jesus walked in this earth and he, and, and he listened and was obedient to the voice of the Father. And he gave everything he had, even to the point of death, carrying the weight of the sins of the world on his shoulder. He dies on a cross so that we could become rich by believing in the act that he performed on that cross by believing in jesus christ anyone who calls on the name of the lord shall be saved and not only but, but, but he didn't stay dead just so you know he didn't stay there he rose again from the grave on the third day so not only did he defeat defeat sin he defeated death so that we can have eternal life richness 
with the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of all creation, has invited us from our poverty into his wealth. What an amazing story. So Paul compares, for the Corinthians, says, compare yourself to these acts of other believers and then also to the acts of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And now you'll know your calling. Now you'll know where the bar is. So you, you know you need to step it up. So then, then we flip over to chapter 9, and now he gets down to it with them, and he says, okay, this is, this is what we need to see. And he compares in verse 6 of chapter 9, 2 Corinthians 9, chapter 6. He says this. He says, remember... A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get only a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. And you each must decide in your own heart how to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So Paul tells him, and he first reminds him, he says, hey, if, if we're calling to give, I want to remind you of a principle that takes place because they were in a farming community. A lot of them, that's how they lived. So they related with planting crops. And he says, you go out and you have seed in your hand, and if you just want to get a little harvest, you just want a little crop, you're just going to throw a few seeds. But if you want a big crop, if you want to grow a crop that you're going to share with your neighbors, that you're going to share with other people, and that you're not selfish, you're going to sow generous amounts of seed so that generous amounts of crop come up. And, and then, then he reminds us it's not, it's, it's not just about doing it so that you can share, but it's also about the attitude in which you do it in. Because this becomes some, some of our issue. Some of us are sitting in here, and you may not have been to church for a while, and you may not have been here, and it's like, oh, jeez. I'm here on purpose. Yeah, he's saying I'm here on purpose because he wants my money. It's great purpose for him. I'm telling you, I don't do this that often. Maybe I should do it a little more often. Because this is a huge part. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. So if we don't talk about where our treasure is, we'll never be able to determine where our heart is. And if you always wondered, why isn't God blessing? The best is not yet to come for me. I don't see that. Maybe because you're investing in the wrong things. God is not pouring out a blessing in your life because the investment that you're making with your time, your talent, and your treasure is in earthly things. It's not in kingdom-minded investment. So we need to change our perspective. And Paul says, it's not just about sowing the seed so you can give it away and look at me. Or begrudgingly, because someone told you to or compared you to the Macedonian church or the church up the street, or compared you to Jesus. Oh, he pulled the Jesus card. Now we got to give. You know, we, have to, we have to reel that back a little bit. Paul says, if that's your attitude, just keep it to yourself. And that's, that's my, my heart for you as well. And, and as much as I love people going and going into the community and sending people, my same heart, the same premise applies here. That God loves a cheerful giver. And if I were sending people out of the church begrudgingly and were angry at them because they left, that's not the heart of God. God doesn't bless that. So I'd say the same thing to you with your finances. If you listen to saying, oh, well, he's trying to get my money out of me and I'll throw an extra dollar because he threw the Jesus card out there. Uh, no, I don't know where you are from with that accent, but that's okay. Um, so I'm just telling you, God loves what Paul says and reminds him. God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful, in joy we give. Hearts of generosity, joyful generosity. That, we, we've talked so many times about how to take offering in the church how do, how do we collect the offering or take up the tithes and all that kind of stuff and sometimes it feels like it's stopping the flow of the cool singing and everything else and and how when do we pass the basket do we pass a basket do we put a box at the back door do we just tell people it's all online and figure it out and if god gives you you know whatever but i'm telling you Giving should be done cheerfully and as an act of worship to God. So the best place to me that it can be is in the middle of our time of singing and lifting our voices to God, of listening to the word of God. This is worship right now to the Lord. It glorifies him. Right in the middle of that, our greatest heart can be connected with an act of giving and generosity, of joyful worship to the Lord. 
That when I pull that wallet out or I write that check or I jump on my app on my phone and I make sure that it goes or even I set it up to go out monthly, whatever, whatever you do, it's an act of generosity. And I just want you to be reminded, if you give online, thank you. Thank you for your generous gifts. Thank you, church, for how much you're giving. Thank you for how you're investing in the kingdom of God because our church is doing great things for God's kingdom. This is, this is not a message of, mm, mm, mm. this is a message of encouragement. We're able to do the things that we're doing because you are giving and we're investing in the kingdom of God. So thank you for what you're doing. So we take even this offering, even if 99.9% .9 of our people gave online, I would want to pass a basket on a Sunday morning just to remind us that we gave, that God is honored through our giving. And that we can put a smile on our face just thinking. So I, I, I encourage you, when your hands touch that basket on a Sunday morning, just smile. Just smile. You know what I'd really like to see? What I'd love to see at Church United is, is when Pastor Mark or myself or whoever's doing it say, our ushers are going to come forward for the giving. I would love the church to do this. Woo! Yes! I would love for us to realize that this is an act of joy. We get to invest in the kingdom of God. Let's practice. We're not going to get the offering, but actually, let's do it. Hey, give me the offering baskets. Let's get our ushers. We're going to come forward. We're going to practice, okay? Because I, I really, I want this to be a thing. So you all have to stand up. So everyone stand, and we're going to practice together. This is why we're not online, you know, this kind of stuff. People at home would be like, what a bunch of weirdos. You are correct. Um, so, here come our, 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 are they back there somewhere? Sorry, I set them scrambling. They're coming in a minute. So, what we're going to do is you'll get these, get these baskets, and we're going to take the baskets, they're going to come forward, and, and, and then as soon as, as soon as we, as soon as we pray, you'll all cheer, okay? We get to give our offering. We all cheer. And then we're actually, you don't have to give, unless you feel compelled at this point because you missed it the first time, but you don't really have to give. I, this isn't, the point is not for a second offering plate. So actually, don't give. Please don't. Um, so, but I, what I want you to do is practice. When your hands touch the basket, I want you to smile. So it goes to you, and, and, and let's just say, Jason, hey, Jason, stand right here for a second. Okay, he's going to, right, right up here. Yeah, right. here we go. All right, so uh, here's a box of tissues. Okay. So look really depressed. All right. Hey, Jason, it's time to give. Oh, that was good. Oh, give him a hand. That was nice. That was nice. So we, we need to practice this. Not, don't, don't practice depression, but, but we're practicing giving. So Okay, so we got our popcorn buckets. They're, they're a good throw, and I think our baskets got locked up in a room or something. Um, but anyway, so we're going to come. So right now comes, oh, church, guess what? The ushers are coming forward, and we get to give offerings to the Lord. Oh, man. Isn't that great? So as they pass the basket, I just want you to think this morning about how blessed we are to give back to the Lord. So pass the basket. Everyone touch the basket, and you smile. Oh, man, listen, celebration. Yeah, you can cheer while it's going through. It's great. And I'll get to the back. I just want to hear random whoops and hollers, you know. Yeah! This is good stuff. So you think I'm weird, but I'm telling you. I am. Okay. So number one, yes. But if you walk into a church, right? If you walk into a church, and the idea for a lot of people is that, that giving is this thing that we do out of obligation. Yes, I love this. This is my favorite. If I were interrupted every week like this, that would be so ha made me so happy. I can't stop smiling right now. This is, this is how, we, how we feel. That, that when our hands touch that, and people see, look at this church, they're giving with joy. You can be seated after the bucket goes by, and you can still shout, yeah, yeah. So our hearts are to give back to the Lord, and we say, that's a cheerful act. Not out of compulsion, that's why I didn't want you to have to give this time, because that's the, the, the verse that goes in. Not because you feel obligated to give, not out of coercion, but I get to give. It's an honor to give to the Lord. So, so Paul goes on in here. Good job, guys. Good job. That makes me happy. Okay. Verse 8. Now listen. He goes on and he says, 
For the Lord loves those who give cheerfully. And God will, give gener- or God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scripture says, they <laughs> share freely and give generously to the poor and their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer. Get that. God is the one who provides the seed. So they're saying, go out and spread this seed generously. And you say, that's my seed. No, it's not. What do you have to lose? It's God's. He gave it to you. Go spread his seed generously. Go out to your field and start throwing generously. God's the one who provided the seed to begin with. And what happens in this mindset, in this terminology, this is it's kingdom investment. We're investing in the kingdom of God. We get an eternal reward. But God's also saying, hey, guess what? I'm going to take care of your earthly needs as well. And he says, test and see. We can see that in the book of Malachi. Test and see that the Lord is good, that he won't open up the storehouse, that he won't pour out a blessing on you that you cannot contain. I am not a health, wealth, prosperity kind of preacher. I just want you to know that. But what I do know is biblically, God said, test me and see that if you give out of a heart of generosity and you give out of a heart of willingness, you give not uh, reluctantly, but you give cheerfully, that I will bless you and I will take care of your needs. It doesn't say once. It doesn't mean everything that I want when I put that in there. Well, I gave them 100 bucks. I'm going to get tenfold. I get 1,000 next week and I know what I'm going to buy. That's not what we're talking about. God's supplying needs. For God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and then the bread to eat in the same way he will provide, provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. So God says, I'll give you more if you give more. You give generously what you have, I'll give you more and then what are you going to do with that more? I'm going to keep it. No, you're going to give it. So God continues, as you begin to be generous with what he puts in your hand and give it away, he gives you more and more, so that not so you can have it, so that you can continue to be a blessing and you can be a generous giver. And then verses 8 through 10, which I just think I read, will go on. 11, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Wouldn't you like that to be sad about you? God is enriching me in every way. Every way. That's just, not a, that, that's just not talking about financially. That's every way. What does that mean in the kingdom of God? That you're living on purpose, that you're living on mission, that you're living in joy. We're united together on purpose, on mission, in joy. And we're enriched in every way. Why? Someone saying my name? Okay, can we hold that? Hold your thought. And they will give glory to God. Listen to this. This is what I love about this. So verse 12, two good things, two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will be joyfully expressing their thanks to God. And as a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them. And all the believers will prove that you're obedient to the good news of Christ. That you are ministers of the gospel. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift. Too wonderful for words. So here's what I want us to, to, to wrap up with your church. I really want you to understand this. My heart right here this morning is not give money. I just, I, if you've never heard me say this, I'll say it this morning. I, I don't, number one, I don't know what you give. I, I know the, the general thing, but I don't know the givers in the church. I don't know how much you give. I may know someone's a regular giver, but I don't know what that actually means. I don't know how that is. So if you're looking this morning and say, he's been looking at me the whole time. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to. And I don't know what you give. I don't know how much the amount is that you're giving to the church. And I don't know if you're not giving to the church. I don't pay attention to that on purpose. So here's what I want you to understand. Because people have stopped me after these messages. Pastor, I'm sorry. The last two weeks, I just wasn't able to give. And I saw you looking at me. 
That's the Holy Spirit staring you down, not me, all right? That was not me, all right? I didn't do it on purpose, okay? So I want you to know that. So my heart here this morning isn't to say, I'm singling some of you out because you're not giving. And I also want you to know that the way the church operates, and we're going to vote on a budget here. We have a family meeting, and I'm going to wrap this up in the next five minutes. Our band's going to come. They can actually start coming now if they want to. We're going to sing a song. And and we're going to wrap this thing up. But here's what I want you to know. We're going to vote on this budget. There's a budget. The the offering doesn't work that after church, Pastor Mark and I go in the back and go, one for you, one for me, one for you, one for Jesus, one for you. You know, that's not how it works. There's a budget. It's established by the church. We vote on those things. All of that stuff comes together, okay? it's, It's a real legit operation and organization here. We're under the government, all that kind of stuff that we have to do and all that stuff. So I want you to understand it. So what I'm saying to you is I don't want you to be generous because that actually helps me personally in some grand way. What I'm saying is we want to be a church that makes kingdom investments. So the more generous we are, the more we can do for the kingdom of God. And if we want to plant churches and we want to plant or revitalize at least seven healthy churches in the next 10 years or nine years now, what does that mean? That means that we have to have people that are investing into the kingdom of God. And, and your challenge then is to say, okay, I have been investing, but God, am I investing what you would desire me to invest? Or now how can I have a greater return, not an earthly return, but an eternal return on my ministry that people's souls are being saved from the flames of hell because of my gift right now of being involved in church planting, being on mission with a church that has a desire to plant and revitalize, to reach people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This year, you just heard from Pastor Mike Nay last week, we have a desire and a heart to send another church downtown to reach the Stanton community. That's our heart. We want to do that. Pastor Robert Hampshire at Village Church, he has told his church, and they're currently at Village Church looking for a new lead pastor so that Pastor Robert can be sent to go plant another church because it's his gift, it's his desire to start things, to get people connected. I want our church to be a part of that mission with him. I want us to be on board with that. Will's Kitchen's sitting back there. Raise your hand, Will's. Will's is right here. He's been in our church for the last four or five, ten years, whatever it's been. Will's has been a part of our ministry here, and he's been struggling and wrestling with this call into full-time ministry. And right now, this year, we're beginning to walk through him. We're going to license him as a minister of the gospel at Church United and begin the path for Will's. And I believe God's calling Will's to be our first church revitalization pastor, that we'll find a church that needs help, and we're going to send him out. And maybe some of you will be called to go with him. These are kingdom works that we desire to do, but we can't do it alone. I can't do it alone, I should say that. We need to do it together because I am not the church. We are the church. So I desire for us to get in line with what God's calling us to do because it can't just be about investing in earthly things. It has to be about investing in the kingdom of God.